Today's guest is one of my favorite personal follows on Instagram. I check out her account for new tips and tricks, and she gives me good wording and things to think about. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. If you've seen me sharing good enough mom stories on YouTube and Instagram, this is all because of Sarah. I read Sarah's book this summer and some things just clicked and I wanted to be able to share stories for parents that can be learning stories like how Sarah talks about. So thank you, Sarah. Well, today we have a very special happening. There are very few people that get to come back twice onto the Keep Calm Mother On podcast, and Sarah is now one of them. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. I am touched and humbled that you would have me back again. (laughs) Well, I'm excited because I just finished listening to your book, Peaceful Discipline. And, um, First of all, it's an amazing book. What age range do you think it's written for, for the age of parent or caretaker? It's so funny that you ask that. I wrote it thinking probably 12 and under, Mm -hmm. yet hearing from parents and caregivers of high schoolers and even older children that they are still using elements of it in their parenting and even in their adult relationships. So There you have it. Yeah, definitely. I have four. No. Oh, my goodness. My kids are 16, 15 and 10 and listening to it. Like, I definitely have things that I want to walk away from and try again. And I know that some of the strategies are even probably helpful to my marriage, like you said in in the book. Well, good. I'm so glad that it's supporting you. And, you know, my hope is that it'll just reach whatever family dynamic it needs to reach and that there will be something that everybody will be able to take away and say, here's something I can use. Yeah. It, so peaceful discipline. It sounds like an oxymoron. Um, what is it? How do we be peaceful in what sounds like a word for violence, which is how discipline is normally interpreted? Yeah, great question. So you're absolutely right. And I love that you call the spade a spade here. We hear the word discipline and our nervous system kind of goes, eek, ouch, oof. I don't want to be a part of that. Discipline sounds painful and emotionally like something to run from. Yes. Well, thing I want to do is bring people back to what discipline actually means. The root word of discipline is disciple. And that is a teaching that is someone, a, a, a disciple is someone who is learning from somebody else and then going on to teach others. Yeah. And that is supposed to be a peaceful process. When we think about the teachers or the disciples of our own personal world, mm-hmm. regardless you know, separate from or in addition to whatever spiritual beliefs we may have. It's not necessarily just about that. Right. But whatever teachers we have had in our lives, we have to come back to the core question of do I learn better when I am approached peacefully or when somebody approaches me in anger and all the big scary stuff? And I'm going to guess if we were to do a show of hands of everybody who's listening now that all of the imaginary hands would be going up saying, I'll sign up for Team Peaceful, please. Yes. So Peaceful is really intended 
in conjunction with discipline, peaceful discipline, to be a reminder not only for us as adults to be peaceful in the ways that we are teaching our children, but even more importantly, our children need to perceive it as peaceful in order for their brains to be able to assimilate what it is that we're trying to teach. So it's really a reminder for all of us, peaceful and discipline have to go together. Discipline does not mean to punish, it means to teach. And that is, I think, a really important paradigm for people to sit with. And if they struggle with it, that's normal. I think for most of us, especially if you were raised in the 80s or 90s um, or adjacent to different religious beliefs, that discipline was definitely harsh for a lot of us. And we have baggage with that word. Yes, exactly. And I want to tell you, I'm one of those kids, too, And so I've had to do a lot of unpacking of this. And I even have a little section in the book about intergenerational trauma and Mm -hmm. cycle breaking sort of thing, because part of healing the world, it begins with this inner child healing that we have to be able to do to know that we too were always worthy of love and connection and compassion. And when we acknowledge that, first of all, incredible healing is possible but secondly, we literally cannot even imagine yeah. treating our children with anything that contradicts that. So it's an incredibly healing, beneficial process that we can work through together. And I think it's important to know that discipline is just a word for teaching because I think it's easy to slide that other way, right? Where you feel like you're a permissive parent and you let too much go and as a response to how you were parented. So I think your book does a really good job of holding what peaceful discipline looks like in terms of like consequences and just having a relationship with your child and yourself. So brain science supports this. Why does brain science say that we need to not have punishment? couple of reasons, the first of which is that, all right, so I'm holding up my hand, my fist, as if it were a brain. For people who are listening, you can visualize it along with me here. When we feel emotionally safe, it's like that hand just opens up and we are ready to receive information. We feel like I don't need to be in fight or flight mode because things are going to be okay. I feel like I can handle whatever's coming at me. When I feel emotional safety, that's when I can learn. When I feel emotionally unsafe, my palm curls up into a fist again. I essentially shut down the learning part of my brain because my only mission in life when I feel emotionally unsafe is to find safety again. Okay. I can't look like, oh, my parents scared me into learning something because that's not actually true learning. What that is, is fight or flight activation. And that does not create long term memory and safety and trust in the world. So in order for children to number one, assimilate the information, they need to feel emotionally safe so they can learn it at a deeper level. And then they need to maintain that sense of safety so that they can exhibit the behaviors that we have taught them, or ideally modeled for them. Mm -hmm. Because They're not responding from a place of fight or flight. They're responding from a sense of safety. So safety is really the key to everything that needs to happen that is good in the brain. 
Otherwise, we as parents and caregivers end up becoming a broken record. Our kids don't really seem to be learning. We end up having these repeated power struggles and consistent themes and the problems of parenting. Yeah. Well, all of the problems are coming from this lack of emotional safety. Because once we achieve that safety, kids are primed to learn in optimal ways and to do the things that we are asking of them because they trust us and feel safe and connected. So if a parent is like, okay, that's great, emotional safety, but what does that feel like in my own body? Like, what does emotional safety, I want to offer it to my kids, but I don't know if I ever experienced that. So how can I find it myself so I can give it to them? Brilliant question. Thank you for asking this. I think you're the first person who's ever asked me this question. (laughs) Number one, I want to normalize that. If we didn't experience emotional safety, growing up, it's hard to do something that we never experienced ourselves. So I want to normalize that it's a work in progress and that you are not broken if you struggle with this. So what it actually feels like is curiosity. It feels like I wonder what's going on for my child underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. I wonder what's going on for me underneath the surface and from that place of curiosity we can be more effective parents because we're not jumping to conclusions about why our child did that thing we are less reactive in our own bodies instead we are more open-minded and we have a more expansive view of what else might be going on here and from that curiosity We want to learn more. Like maybe my five-year-old or my 15-year-old or my 25-year-old, for that matter, isn't being defiant. Maybe my old narrative is that they were being defiant, but maybe there's something else going on. Maybe they're feeling like they're not being heard. Oh, I'm curious about that. Maybe they're pushing back because they have a desire for me to understand what's going on for them better. That's something that is going to be empowering and connecting and help bring that peace back to our own parenting. And I'm going to touch on one thing, Christy, that you mentioned a minute ago. Sometimes people do slide too far over to permissive parenting. Mm -hmm. I do advocate permissive parenting. They think, oh, I guess it means I never have conflict with my child because I just say yes to everything. (laughs) Well, you know what happens then? We end up getting resentful because we are just sucking it up all the time. And resentment does not create emotional safety either. It's like a volcano that's just waiting for the moment where it can finally release and blow up. Forget permissive parenting. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about how can I be curious enough to support myself, to support my child, to help us through whatever situation we're facing rather than working just from our old narratives about what we're seeing at the surface. Yeah. And to change or control our children, but instead go, what are they needing? And also, what am I needing in the meantime? And then using nonviolent communication strategies to come up with win-win scenarios that we can feel good about. 
So I love that definition that emotional safety starts with curiosity of what else could be going on. Because I think that there's probably someone sitting and listening, maybe on a walk, and they're like, oh, okay, like, maybe I'm not as bad as a parent as I thought I was. Like, maybe I am a little bit safer than I realized I was, because I am curious about what's underneath the surface. Exactly. Yeah. And I want to tell everybody here that when I first told my very own daughter that I was writing a book, she literally looked me in the eye and said, Mama, is it about how to make mistakes because you're so good at that? And I laughed, but I was like, oh, my gosh, this is kind of awkward. And yet fantastic if she's counting making mistakes as one of my strengths, because I don't want to just model how to mess up. I want to model to repair from the mess ups because 99% of our interactions, not a scientific number, by the way, I just pulled it up out of the air verbally here, but you know, most of our interactions aren't going to go perfectly, but am I modeling for my child how to recover when I mess up? That's a life skill that I think all kids need. So what does that look like? What does recovery look like? Can we break down those steps and then we'll go talk about one of my favorite solutions that you have story teaching. Sure thing. So I have a full repair process outlined in the book that I adapted from the Gottman Institute. And the Gottmans are fantastic psychologists and do amazing work. Um, specific to parenting, I brought in a couple of other elements that I feel are really important mm-hmm. in the repair process, including the story teaching piece of it. But essentially, it requires that number one, we take ownership of our part. Number two, we fess up when we mess up. We acknowledge out loud to our child, hey, I did this thing. And here it's almost like we're at a fork in the road. Traditional punitive parenting would say, the reason I yelled or the reason I, you know, insert your Uh own punitive, the reason I did that is that you made me because you did this thing. The you made me sentence. Exactly. But we actually want to take the other fork in the road, which is, I understand that when I did this thing, it made you feel sad or scared or whatever. We want to let the child know that we understand their perspective and our part in harming them emotionally. So this is their emotional validation. We can also ask them, what else am I missing? What else do you want me to know? And we give our child the opportunity to give us feedback as a parent, not because it's their job to parent us. It's absolutely not. But it's our job, going back to curiosity, to be curious about what was this like for you? Help me understand And then also I want to normalize. It's really tempting to hop back to the other fork in the road and be like, but I did it because (laughs) I was going to say, there's probably like, you know, that well-worn path that you made me that like is ingrained because that's what we heard as kids. And then we've accidentally said those things, even though it didn't feel right. And then to hop path, it's like the overgrown path when you're hiking and you're like, I know that's the path I'm supposed to take. But but it's got a lot of burrs on it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like there they're, they're bound to be wolves on that path. I don't want the wolves, uh-huh. right? But it's so hard to just sit there. And it doesn't mean you have to take it if your child is just, you know, lashing out on you. Right. You do get to have boundaries and things. But you really, whenever possible, want to simply take the feedback and remember, I want to be the safe place where the child can share their feedback. Mm-hmm. And my job 
be the master translator of what does this mean they're needing and what does it mean they're feeling. And then what you do is you acknowledge it and say, it makes sense to me that you felt that way. Is there anything else you want me to know? And you use your active listening skills to get all of the feedback that you need to. And by the way, this helps them heal because they feel like they can tell you even when you, the adult, have messed up. Mm-hmm. And this is such a different narrative from yeah. many generations. So I want to acknowledge once again, this can be hard and it can take years of practice. Don't expect perfection. It's okay while you're growing. And then what we do is we say, I am so sorry I did that without now throwing in, I did it because you just say, I am so sorry I did that. Will you please forgive me? And by the way, here's what I'm going to do to help prevent myself from doing the same thing in the future. And it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect going forward. So, for example, I might say something like, I'm so sorry I yelled at you. I imagine that must have been scary. Next time I am tempted to yell, instead what I'm going to do is go in the other room for a second, take some belly breath, say a quick prayer meditation, whatever, and then I'm going to come back and we can talk peacefully. But help the child know that you have a roadmap, and if you don't have a roadmap, Trial and error. Tell them what you're going to try. See if it works, whatever. But let them know that you are actively working on this thing with as many specifics as you're comfortable sharing. Also, depending on how old the child right. is and how yeah. it's going. And then finally, will you forgive me? And here's the beautiful thing. Kids are so wonderfully i.e. brutally honest sometimes, it makes so much sense that they'll be like, I am not forgiving you, or I will forgive you tomorrow, or whatever it is. I'm so glad you're mentioning that part, because that's totally happened to me. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it makes sense, because we know from the research that for every single negative interaction we have with somebody, no matter how old we are, it takes five positive interactions with that person to feel emotionally safe again. So it's okay If you say to your child, it makes sense to me that you're not ready to forgive me yet, you know, let me know if and when you are. But in the meantime, I'm here for you. And I just want you to know that I'm really sorry. Mm -hmm. And it becomes about full accountability rather than, well, I said I'm sorry. Therefore, you should forgive me. No, they shouldn't. They should when and if they feel ready, not just because we said the words. Yeah, we're not entitled to that automatic yes. Right. Exactly. Well, I love how you break that down. And then the other thing in your book that stands out so well, and it almost should be like the lead word underneath it. Like I know your book is called Peaceful Discipline, but it's really focused on um, on story teaching, which I love. And it reminds me how you trained as improv, if, improv comedian, and like this whole world of creativity that you can bring into parenting um, that can feel really personalized and fun and not like a sermon. Like there, I can see so much potential, even just like driving down the road and talking to my kid, right? Like there's lots of ways you can use it. So before I say how much I love story teaching more, um, tell us what it is, because I know it was kind of an aha moment for me of putting different pieces together in a new way. Sure. So story teaching is essentially something that everybody does all the time. 
so to your point, if somebody hears story teaching, they go, "Uh oh, I'm not creative. I'm out. This won't be for me. Come back. Stay with us. Because if you have a brain, which I'm sure you do if you're listening to this, you have a part of your brain called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus spends all day, every day, creating and telling stories to you. You do this automatically. It requires zero conscious effort on your part. And how it does it is it looks for things that are meaningful in the world and attaches those meaningful things to an emotional anchor. Those are really the two key components of it. So for example, the story that I am telling myself right now, both consciously and subconsciously, are right now I'm talking with Christy and she's smiling. And here's the emotional anchor. I like Christy. I feel good in her presence. I want to talk to her more because she seems to be a really fantastic human. Therefore, six months from now, a year from now, whatever, when we go to chat again in whatever format we chat, I already have this narrative in my brain about I like her. I want more of her. This is a good thing. So my brain does that. It doesn't require any special creativity on my part. Well, the thing is in parenting, and by the way, in all relationships, I'm just going to throw that in, yeah. have the power to use that same part of the brain, the hippocampus, to our advantage in the way that we parent and lead our children, not to manipulate them, but to help make them understand, not make them, help them understand the world around them what's expected of them, what kind of behavior we want to see, not in a control-based way, but in a connection-based way. Yeah. One of the things that I really like, actually two things I really like about story teaching, number one, it's for all ages. We all do it. But the other thing... Right, because have you studied play, Sarah? Right, like Dr. Stuart Brown, I'll interrupt you here. Um, Narrative play is like one of the only forms of play that's like only for humans, right? Like we see play with other mammals, but narrative play is a very human play. And that's what story teaching is playing with words, yeah. connecting through stories. It's from all ages, like historically, right? From Incans to now. Yes, exactly. And the other part that I love so much about it is that it's for virtually all situations, past, present, and future. And I talk about how to do it specifically in the book. I even have like outlines and sample stories. And Let's say there's a situation coming up with your child and you want to help prepare them for it. Maybe it's, you know, the first time they're going to, if it's a little kid, it's a play date. If it's an older kid, it's a party. But it's something that is new to them mm-hmm. and you can help mentally prepare them for what to expect, not only as far as, you know, this is how we act in this kind of thing, but what do you do if there's a problem? What do you do if you see somebody who you like, you know, and you think they might make a good friend and you want to talk to them? It really helps to prepare their brains for this is how I want the situation to go so that when the actual situation comes up, the brain says, oh, I practiced this, so I have a better roadmap of what to do And that makes it so much easier and can decrease anxiety and all sorts of other good things. You can also use story teaching in the moment. A lot of that is the play that you were talking about a second ago, Christy, where we connect with our children playfully and turn a situation that maybe is going a little bit sideways, get it back 
course, or if something's going well and we say, I want this to be repeatable, mm-hmm. we can reinforce the repeatability of whatever's working well. And then finally, we can use it retroactively. If you're here on planet Earth, you've had stressful stuff happen, whether you are two or 102, you have experienced some stress. Many of us have experienced different levels of trauma. Retroactive storytelling basically means that we create something called a coherent narrative where we get to make sense of our story. So, for example, with a little kid, it might be you've just gotten home from the park and something stressful happened. You might say, hey, I noticed that when the neighbor's dog jumped on you and knocked you down, you started crying. I bet that felt really scary for you. And you let the child say, yes, it was, you know, and you you work through it. But here's the important part. You also talk about the recovery. So when the neighbor came over and pulled the dog off you and I picked you up, how did you feel then? Oh, I felt better. Okay, yeah. What did better feel like to, to you? Did you feel safe again? Did you feel loved? Did you feel whatever? You start helping your child realize that they were recovering from it. Or maybe it's a situation that was hard and just ended hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it, whether it's a young child or an older child, maybe they had a falling out with a friend or a breakup. Maybe they lost a loved one, you know, something like that. Yeah. Sometimes it's just hard, but you get to validate the emotion. Yeah, it makes sense to me that you feel so sad about that. What are you going to do with your sadness? Not to take it to the level of toxic positivity, <laughs> but children know that they can be resilient. Sometimes it means we just get to feel our sadness for a while. You know, we don't have to fix it. We don't have to change it. Sometimes feeling it is the biggest gift we can give to ourselves. And yet, when we're ready for healing or recovery, here's what that can look like. Just so children know that they don't have to carry around the narrative of this hard thing happened, it was only horrible, and now it's going to scar me for life. Instead, we get to look back and say, here's how I dealt with it. Yeah. Here's how. I made sense of it. Here's how I created a path forward. And when you're still in the thick of it, it might be how I'm dealing with it right now is just being in my feelings and I'm surrounding myself with people who love me and are going to love me through the season that I'm in. But we can do it with all sorts of situations with that positive emotional anchor so that kids feel like I have a story here. Yeah. I can work with it. And one more thing I'll say very quickly is that for people who feel like, but I'm not creative, I don't know how to do the story part of it. Well, good news. You have life all around you. You can make up a story. And like I said, I've got lots of sample stories Mm -hmm. in the book or how to handle different behavioral challenges. But you can talk about, hey, remember that movie we watched where something similar happened? that book we got from the library remember that story i told you about grandpa from when he was a kid like our brains have so much access to stories around us that we very rarely have to delve into our own creative prowess we can do that too but we don't have to rely on creativity when we have so many other options around us yeah and your kids are probably immersed in stories that you know that they love that would hook them right um fan fiction is popular for a reason. Like you can borrow other people's characters quite easily 
and then tell a story that's going to really engage your kid. Exactly. Excellent. Well, I love the proactive part of it. Like we've used that before with like scary medical procedures, right? Like walking a kid through it. And sometimes really good children's hospitals will have child life departments and they'll show you like a video of the procedure. But then, but then you can talk about it too and add that story component about bravery and safety instead of just the technicalities of it all. Exactly. Yeah. Because we really need this. We as humans want to make sense of life. And stories are one of the most underutilized tools that we have as parents. And instead, current culture has us doing things like, well, I'm going to teach you with a punitive timeout, or I'm going to teach you with physical punishment, or I'm going to teach you with, you know, removal of privileges or whatever. But going to the beginning of our conversation, we know that all of those things, and I actually spend the first half of the book talking about a lot of things that don't work from an evidence-based perspective, why they don't work, and most importantly, what to do instead. I don't just leave you. So, you know, what to do instead is really important. Sometimes the answer is the story teaching. Sometimes it's other stuff. And I talk about the other stuff in the book well, but there's always a path forward to help the child feel that emotional safety so they can learn You can feel good about your parenting, you can break cycles, and you don't have to perpetuate more pain and instead bring your family back to a place of healing and giving grace to one another and a stronger sense of peace from the inside out. And it's truly freeing to parent this way. Yeah, because you want to feel safe in your own relationship with your child. Like it's not fun. We've all had that moment where you've done something that you've regret or said something too loud or whatever it is for you. And then you don't feel good either. Like, you know, it didn't teach a lesson and you feel disconnected. So one of my favorite parts of this book and your, just your overall philosophy and how you share online everywhere is that the idea of do no harm with our parenting. We just want to do no harm. Exactly. Yes. You know, many of us have, even if we were raised by a great family, we still end up kind of recovering from our childhoods in one way or another. And I always come back to when my child or your child or, you know, any other child on the planet, when they make a mistake, because they're going to make mistakes. They're human. It's inevitable. Just like I do every single day, by the way. Every day I make a mistake, at least one. (laughs) mistake right there with you. So um, go team. But yeah, so when our child inevitably makes a mistake, are they going to want to run from us to hide the mistake? Or are they going to want to run to us for support with it? And I don't care if they're little or if they're big, like I want to be the kind of parent where my child runs to me. And I want to create that ongoing sense of emotional safety. It's kind of my theme for today. Here. My child knows that I'm not out to get her. I'm not out to do her harm. I'm not out to make her feel less than for the mistakes that she makes. Because if she has that level of trust in me in the tough times, the good times are only that much easier and better for both of us. Because it really comes back to this connection where it's not based on harm physically, mentally, psychologically. Control and fear. Yeah. Control. Yeah. All that stuff. And it's just based on how can we work through this together? How can we celebrate the good stuff together? And it's really a a much more 
joyful place from which to parent. Well, I love that. Thank you so much for taking the time to write this book. If you are an audiobook fan, I highly suggest that you check out the audio. Sarah recorded it herself. She interrupts herself and gives little extras. It's a complete delight. There's a chime between each chapter, so it kind of feels like story time, too, where it's like, turn the page, chime. Um, so thank you for the effort and the energy it took for you to write the book, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much. And I really appreciate being aligned with you in this work and for all of the parents and caregivers who are listening and saying, I just want to feel good about my parenting and have my kids feel good about my parenting. I invite you to, you know, read it, contact me if you have questions. I'm very real and very accessible. I will always do my best to show up for you in my imperfection and just help you in whatever way that I can. Well, how are you taking care of yourself right now, Sarah, as you're holding hands for parents across the globe and parenting your own daughter? What are you doing for self-care? A couple of things. One is I'm doing a lot of body work lately. You know, I'm I'm one that holds stress in my yeah. body. So if I can go and work with somebody who helps me release the stress physically, that does a lot. And it's not all about massages and that sort of thing. I was going to say, what does body work look like besides a massage? Yeah. So like sometimes I see an osteopath, you know, other times I will just do some stretching. I um, got a mini trampoline and every morning I have committed. In fact, I'm working less right now because I am increasing the amount of time I'm moving my body Yay. on my little trampoline and it's magically healing. So that, you know, plus I've got a, a spiritual component of my life that I feel strongly about. So I'm trying to be more mindful of prioritizing that and really just knowing this story has never been about me. I need to take care of my body so I can take care of others, but it's not the Sarah show. It's it's like we're all here together doing this work. <laughs> yeah. And in your book, you said that 80% of parents are experiencing burnout, self-reported burnout right now. So if you're hearing this and you're like, oh, that just resonated how she has to take care of herself. It's a real thing. We all have to take care of ourselves. That's why I ask this question every episode. It's important. And I love when things get repeated by guests, right? Like, it's so important to just know how other people are trying. Yes, exactly. And honestly, listen to your body. Like, listening to my body is one of the most important things that I have learned to do. And it's not about depriving myself of things or, oh, I shouldn't do that thing. If my body says, I would really like some pizza tonight, I have some pizza. So here I am on your show recommending having <laughs> pizza. You know, like there are lots of ways to take care of yourself. Absolutely. It, it's important to say, though, like it's so loud out there and our body seems so quiet compared to all the noise. Yes, so how are you having fun as a family? What's a family fun idea that you have right now? Oh, well, we have two new kittens. So we're spending lots of time playing with kittens. That's a really good way to get out of our heads uh -huh. and just present in the moment. And we post pandemic, like we were that super conservative family that never went anywhere, never did anything, never saw anybody during uh -huh. the pandemic. Now we're like, oh, we're getting together with people again, and we are making new friends and doing just new activities to get more involved in the community, and it feels so wonderful to do that. It really does. I think the pandemic highlighted how much we're supposed to be with other people. Yes, 
we are meant for each other. So we are. Yes, we are. Well, thank you so much again, Sarah. Please, everyone, go pick up the copy of The Peaceful Discipline um, or Peaceful Discipline. And I hope that you just have a great day. I am so glad that you are here on Earth and you have always been exactly the right mom for your kiddo. Thank you for sharing your light with us. Every time I wrap up an interview, I hope that it gives you something to grow from and to think about, something to do, and then something to aim for. And I think today's conversation hit all three. Thank you for listening. Please share this conversation with three friends, however you want to share, social media, texting. Just thank you. That means the world to me. I hope you have a good enough day, and I am so glad you are here on Earth. Let's keep calm and mother on together.